0: Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans. I'm Clint. Thank you for joining me for the part two of the first step is the two-part episode or two-part, um, yeah, it's a two-part episode regarding the fairy flag of the MacLeods. So this is a not so much an academic or, or yeah, it's not so much academic history as it is diving into the realm of folklore and and legends and cool stuff like that. So it's a little bit different flavor, but we've done a, a couple episodes along these lines recently. And so we're going to continue where we left off. If you want to learn more about how the mcleod got the fairy flag and what it's supposed to be able to do because it has magical properties, then go back and check the last episode because I'm not going to go into that in so much detail this time around i am however going to do a short recap on the so i've discussed as part of these two episodes two major battles where the fairy flag was used the magical properties were brought to bear for the mcleods we're going to talk about how that turned out two major battles the battle of bloody bay and the battle of glendale so last episode not only did we talk about the fairy flag itself and and where it came from and what it does. But we also talked about, and I say we, I talked about it. And if you were there, you listened. But um, the, the Battle of Bloody Bay I took directly from the Wikipedia page. Now, for today's episode, I'm actually taking it from one of the sources that I found down at the bottom of the Wikipedia page under references. And it is a work, um, it is a work by R.C. McLeod that he published in... 1927, and that was, and it was called simply the McLeods of Dunvegan. And so, and I hope I'm pronouncing Dunvegan right. So, that work is where I'm taking, I'm just going to read straight off of what he wrote about that battle, and then maybe make a few comments of my own. But before I do that, two things. One, let me get a quick shout out to my sponsor, USA Kilts. USA Kilts provides top-notch products. It's kilts, it's everything that goes with a kilt, it's other things that have to do with Scottish heritage and and some other things. That they, they, they dive into get in a little bit to the other Celtic countries like Wales and and Ireland. They the tartans that they actually offer, you'd be surprised. You know, the Edwards's, my my dad's side of the family, actually, that line of my family comes from Wales and they have Welsh tartans, they have Irish tartans. And if you're like, what the heck's going on with Welsh or Irish tartans? I thought kilts were specifically a Scottish thing. Guess what you can do? You can go on over to their YouTube channel, which is USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions, and you can learn all about these how the how the traditional Scottish garment called a kilt has spread into other countries and how they're using it. And is it a pan-Celtic deal? And is it all of the other guys, you can you can dive into that, and they they actually have some really good material on that on their YouTube channel. So if you in the if you're in the market, you want to broadcast your heritage a little bit by sporting some of the the Scottish apparel or more broadly Celtic apparel, go check them out at USAKilts.com. If you want to learn more about wearing it and other things, not just apparel things, but Scottish history, culture, um, all sorts of cool stuff about Scotland go on there and check out their YouTube channel Once again it's USA kilts and Celtic tradition Celtic traditions and their storefront is usakilts.com All right so first of all let me give you a quick recap So last time I went ahead and went to the Wikipedia the um, their page for the Battle of Bloody Bay. And this time I'm actually not on that Wikipedia page. I'm on the Wikipedia page for the fairy flag itself. And it has kind of a more concise version of how the flag was used in the Battle of Buddy Bay. So it's a lot less information than I gave you last time, as far as the story is concerned. But it's gonna it's good, it's uh, it's useful for me so that I can kind of wrap up what I did last episode. And we can move on into the next battle where it was used. Okay, so here it goes. I'm just reading straight off of the section under the Wikipedia page for the fairy flag called Unfurling at the Battle of Bloody Bay. The Banatine Manuscript states that the flag was unfurled at the Battle of Bloody Bay in 1480. The manuscript related that during the battle, the clan's chief, William Dew, was slain and in consequence his clan began to lose heart. A priest then ordered the flag's bearer, Mercha Breck, to unfurl the fairy flag to rally the clan. Up until this point, the Macleods of Harris and Nunvegan were on the opposing side of their kinsmen, the Macleods of, of, of Lewis. However, once the Macleods of Lewis noticed that the flag had been unfurled, they switched sides to join the forces with their kinsmen, unfortunately, For both MacLeod clans, the outcome of the battle had already been determined and they were on the losing side. Among the vast numbers of MacLeod's slain were Merchabrek and the twelve guardians of the flag. William Dew was buried on the island of Iona with his predecessors and the body of Merchabrek is placed within the same tomb. The manuscript states that this was the greatest honor which could be bestowed upon his remains. R.C. Macleod suggested that the Macleod effigy within Iona Abbey may mark the burial of the first chiefs of the clan as well as William Dew and the mentioned standard bearer. William Dew is thought to have been the last Macleod chief buried on Iona. His son, Alistair Crotach, was buried in St. Clement's Church on Harris. Okay, so that was the Battle of the Bloody Bay. Now, here's one of the properties that the fairy flag was supposed to be able to accomplish. The The property was that it will um, double or increase the size of the McLeod force. Now, even though the McLeods ended up on the losing side, did it double their num- numbers? Well, I don't know if the, the percentages are ex- exactly accurate, but you had... one branch of the clan the mcleods of harris and dunvegan on one side and you had the mcleods of lewis on the other side and at the at the raising of the fairy flag they combined so you could kind of look at that as the numbers doubled and so therefore the flag did what it was supposed to do too bad that they doubled on the wrong side and that is another interesting thing to point out is it looks like the the mcleods of harris and dunvegan were the keepers of the flag that's one thing we mentioned in the last episode is that it's kept at Dunvegan Castle. and and that is that's what is held by the, the the Chief of the McLeod's of Harrison Dunvegan. And so the McLeods of Lewis would not have been the keepers of it, although there is some information that I shared last time about them being involved in the 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 keeping of the flag as far as the the twelve men who were protecting it. And I mean, you go back and listen to the last episode, I, and I, I even brought this up in the last episode, I'm not completely clear, it did say that the, the kindred that was assigned to the guardianship of the flag were from the McLeods of Lewis, even though the cloud was kept at the McLeod of Harris, or the fairy flag was kept at Dunvegan, which is the seat of the Harris and Dunvegan McLeod. So anyway, it's a, it gets a little muddled in there, so, and I'm not quite sure how that goes, but it looks like... That's where it was, and that's who had control of it. They they raised it, the McLeods of Lewis saw it, joined that side, and then they lost. But it's their numbers still doubled. Um, then so we move to the, the episode of the Battle of Glendale, where the flag was unfurled. And I am going to, like I said, for this particular episode, Part of the story we're going to go to the MacLeod's of Dunvegan written by RC McLeod, in a work that was published in 1927. All right and so I'm just going to start reading this is coming from page 72. It's under chapter 9 and the chapters are in uh, organized according to who is the chief. And so this is Alexander eighth chief and I'm going to be reading, about It's going to start off, the context of it is, is talking about this conflict back and forth between McLeod's and McDonald's and the McLeod's having lost a bunch of their territory. And so I'm going to start reading that straight from this. Okay, here we go. Somewhere about 1490, the McDonald's again landed in Skye under the command of Donald Grumach at Loch Ainort. They laid waste Minginish, Bracadale, and Duranish up to the very gates of Dunvegan. The chief was in Harris at the time, but the moment the news reached him, he came with all speed to Skye and landed in Glendale, where he was joined by the McLeod's of the Lewis. Here he met the Macdonalds. The McLeod's Macle- the drew up on the brow of a hill with a river in front of them, probably the hammer, which made it difficult for the McLeod's to attack them. Here they remain for 10 days waiting the arrival of the reinforcements. Okay, I'm going to pause on the reading the story real quick. So, here, as opposed to last time, the last battle we talked about, the, the two different McLeod branches are starting off on the same side. So, they've got all of them together fighting a McDonald landing and invasion of their lands on the Isle of Skye. Okay, continuing. At the end of this period, this 10 day period of them waiting for reinforcements. A large force arrived under the command of Donald Moore of madel A fierce engagement ensued, the MacLeods were sorely pressed, Donald Moore and hundreds of the clan were killed, and the survivors were on the way of on the point of giving way. Irretrievably, irretrievable disaster seemed imminent. By order of Alastair Crotock's mother, who was present, the fairy flag was displayed. The combat was renewed with redoubled fury and immense losses on both sides. A party of McDonald's headed by Alan of Moidart penetrated the McLeod line and cut off the chief and the select band who guarded the fairy flag from the rest of the clan. At this moment, Murdo McCaskill cut down Donald Gruemach and, raising his head on a spear, ordered the McLeod Pipers to play the Macdonald lament. The McDonald's were seized with a panic at the sound of this ill-omened music and gave way on all sides. Allen of Moidart did all he could to, to rally them, but in vain. Such was the slaughter, say the old Shanachis, that the ravens which stood on na feach the rocks of the ravens, drank the blood and ate the flesh of the Macdonalds who lay in heaps ra- around without descending from their airy perch. Alan of Moidart engaged in single combat with McCaskill and his three brothers successi- successively and killed them all, and then, with the remnant of his followers, made good his retreat to Loch Aenort, where the galleys awaited them. This was the most tremendous battle in which the MacLeods were ever engaged. Victory remained with them, but it had been bought at a terrible price. The chief himself severely wounded. Many of the chief men and most of the men of the clan were killed. The clan never indeed recovered from these tremendous losses. Among those who had perished in the battle was Paul Du, the standard bearer, who had carried the fairy flag in the thick of the fight till he was killed. The greatest possible honor was paid to his remains. A very deep stone coffin was made. Ten or twelve inches from the top, a bevel was cut in the stone. On this was laid an iron grating, and on this grating was laid the body of Paul Dew. The tomb was placed in the northeast corner of the chancel of St. Clements, Rodel, and became the bearing place of Paul's descendants, who succeeded him as standard-bearers of the clan. Henceforth, when a standard-bearer was buried, the chief, the coffin was opened. All that remained, the last who had been buried in it, were shaken down through the bars of the grating into the bottom of the coffin, and the body of the new occupant was laid on the grating. In this way, the ashes of successive, successive standard-bearers standard mingled in one coffin. Paul Deux's last descendant died early in the 18th century. My grandfather was present at the funeral and saw all the old ceremonies duly performed. Unquote. Alright, so there you have not only how the battle went, how the flag was used, and then some of the traditions of how they buried the standard bearers, the standard being the fairy flag. There's a very select group of men who guarded that, and the and the guy in charge of those men, um they had a very unique way for disposing of his, his their remains. So there's a couple of things I want to point out about this, this uh, this battle of Glendale. One was that you want to take in mind when it talks about how many McDonald's they killed, that this is written by a – the, the account comes – it's a McLeod account. And R.C. McLeod has taken it – he was not the original source of the account. He wasn't there. He didn't see it. He's, he's drawing from something else, but it was a McLeod source. So you, you'll notice that, you know, if there's a little bit of a bias in there. If you're a McDonald and you're reading this, you're like, whatever. Um, maybe, maybe not. I We don't know what the exact numbers. We know that the McLeods lost, but it was a painful loss. The McLeods won, but it was kind of what they call a pyrrhic victory, where it really hurt them bad to win. And And it says that they never recovered. Um, so that's the second thing I want to address. Uh, there's several different stories that we've done in the history of this podcast where it says all of the fighting men from this side were wiped out. Or the fighting strength was there forever gone. Or they make some kind of hyperbolic statement about how many fighting men were lost and that they were forever disabled. Yet yet then in, you have accounts of them later in history Engaged in different conflicts. So clearly that's a little bit of an exaggeration to say that the McLeod's never recovered from their victory. It cost them so much to win. But the fairy flag was unfurled. The McLeod's rallied and they beat their enemy. And so just to say that this is the second time in a battle, in a pitched battle, that the fairy flag was unfurled. And they say they've got three times to use it. So they've got one more. We don't know when that's going to be. So who knows? And let me, so that's, that's the story of the fairy flag. That's, I've wrapped up everything that I wanted to talk to talk about regarding the fairy flag specifically. Um, I wanted to turn my attention now to something that I had seen on the Facebook page, a conversation that had taken place that, um, that I just wanted to weigh in my two cents on. And it, cause I think a lot of people are engaged in this. This is a Scottish clan topic that I saw discussed there at one of the members of the Facebook group, not the page, the Facebook group. There's a difference. He had was he was reaching out and asking about clan maps. Scottish clan maps. And it's funny because right behind me, where I'm sitting, I have my own Scottish clan map that I've had since I was in high school. I, we were on a so I'm I'm from Idaho. We had done this big trip clear back to the East Coast. We visited all sorts of cool locations um, that are historic. We saw the Liberty Bell, Fort McHenry, the uh, uh, several other historic uh, where, where the Constitution was signed. Um, and we went to New York City, and we were at I don't know I I I, have, I don't I've never been back to New York City since then, but I saw this cool clan map, and I snatched it up and bought it, and I've had it ever since. So it's, it's a pretty old map, but I've, I have had it laminated, so it's hanging in there pretty good. Um, there's a lot of different versions of clan maps that you can buy. Now, the one that I have is probably the most detailed one that I've ever seen. And it has battle sites with the name of the battle and the, loca- and the date that it happened. It has... I know all the different clan territories throughout Scotland, from the southern border with England clear up to the very far north. It doesn't have the Orkney or Shetland Islands on them on it, but anyway. And so here's one thing to that's interesting, I think, about clan maps. For one, if you don't know enough clan history, if you've been following this podcast, you'll know about how to take the clan map and it'll be good for what it's for. If you don't know a lot about Scottish clan history, then you will um you might gain some some incorrect assumptions by looking at it. So you look at and you'll see in Straths Bay, you'll see Grant territory, Clan Grant. And if you don't if you haven't been listening to this podcast or you haven't done your own studying for on this very much, you might get the impression that, oh, that's where all the Grants lived. So most of the people in that territory would have been related to the glant, Grants chief either close or distantly and bore the last name of grant and as you can get into this oversimplification of how clans worked how they were structured and another thing that's that you can get into is thinking oh from, for time immemorial that was grant territory well the grants were actually pretty pretty consistent in that that particular part of scotland but there are other clans and other places of scotland where it fluctuated a lot more than that for instance this plan, clan map actually says on it that it's it's good for the reign of king james all right so that's you know the the what the last roughly quarter of the 1500s into the early 1600s in 1603 i think it was that he inherited the english throne and which is like getting a promotion cuz english was, england was way richer and moved his court down to london but, um, so you have, you have, uh, it's, it's good for that, for that time period, what you're looking at on that map. Most of the other clan maps are about the same. They don't go into as much detail as this one behind me that I'm talking about. But, you know, some, a lot of them don't show clan territories. They just show, hey, this clan was about here and this clan was about here. This way you can actually see during that time period, you can see who was the big clans, like you can see all this yellow that's Campbell and all this blue that's McDonald and all this pink that's McKenzie. And, and you can see that, oh my goodness, that's a lot of territory and they covered a lot of ground and they must be a major clan. Um, but then you can see minor ones, like I'm descended from McFarland's and they were this little bitty clan. You can see right where the territory was. You can see roughly the outlines of where that territory was. Just something to note, though. There are some time periods in Scottish history where there's some major upheavals of territory. So one is that if you if you look at a if you look at another map, if we were to make another clan map that's just a few decades into the future, into like the second half of the 1600s, you'd see a lot more Campbell territory. They gobbled up a lot of MacDonald territory. And so that so it would look different. Here's another time period that you could look at and I I'm, I'm working on a project for this, but if you were to look at a Scottish clan map before Robert the Bruce, you want to talk about some major changes in Scottish history, in Scottish clan, if, like land ownership specifically. Oh my goodness, there's a lot. You know, those clans that were that sided with him and were loyal to him throughout, they benefited greatly. So where their territory was, you know, so big in one point after Robert the Bruce gained the throne and secured the throne, because there's still a little bit more work to do once he actually um, defeated the English at Bannockburn. There's still some more cleaning up to do. You see clans that were loyal to him, their territory increases drastically. And clans like the MacDougals, who sided against him, and I'm not saying who's right and who's wrong and who had a greater claim to the throne and who was a better human being and all that stuff, but if you sided against him, like the McDougals did, and they almost lost everything. Now they managed to hold on, but if you look at the clan map that I have, their territory is rather small. Whereas before Robert the Bruce, they were the senior line. Dougal was the, the senior, the oldest son of Summerlid. And, and that was the senior, you know, of the three McSorley clans, the McDonald's, the McRory's and the, the McDougals, they were the senior one, but Man, they, they had their legs cut out from underneath them after Robert Bruce obtained the throne. And so their territory dwindles drastically. And, so, and that happened all across Scotland. You had major shifts in land ownership during that time. And so definitely the clan map, if you were to make one for, be, for before Robert the Bruce and then one for later into the 1300s, it would look completely different. I'm not telling you all the names would be changed, but it would look quite a lot different. Hey, there are just some, some thoughts. I want to give another shout-out to my my sponsor, USA Kilts. Go out and check them out on usakilts.com. They make a superior product, I know, because I have a USA Kilts kilt. I love wearing it. It is my hiking garment of choice, and it's free shipping inside the U.S. So great product, good high quality, free shipping inside the U.S., and so sorry for you guys that are listening to this outside the U.S., But also, um, awesome customer service. Just, they took such good care of me in the process of getting my kilt. And then another thing is go check them out on USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions channel on YouTube. They have some great content on there. They continue, they continually, um, it's regular. They continue to put out good content. Anything that you ever want to know about wearing a kilt, what you wear with a kilt, what you don't wear with a kilt, how to not wear a kilt examples from celebrities who've worn kilts um they get into scottish history and culture and heritage and all these cool things on there so go check them out on usa kilts and celtic tradition traditions on their youtube channel and yeah there you go so we so we covered today the the second part of our fairy flag episode from the clouds we touched on clan maps a little bit and yeah i hope it, i hope you this was something that you enjoyed if you did share it there's some kind of a you know a whatever platform you listen to your podcast on, there's that little square with the arrow sticking out of it. Go ahead and touch that and share it with somebody you think would like this. Um, if you've got further questions, comments, things to add, um, things I got wrong. Like I said, I just read straight off of that guy's source. So, But um, if, you, if you think there's something that needs to be adjusted or whatever, reach out to me. You can reach out to me on the Scottish Clans Facebook group, but that's probably not the best one because it's got super huge and I don't Check it as much as I used to. You can tell that my frequency of podcast episodes has spanned out a little bit in time as I'm up to my eyeballs and stuff. But um, probably a more direct way to reach out to me would be clans at gmail.com. Reach out to me on that, and that's a, that's a more direct route. So, yeah, and you can actually, if you find me on the Scottish Clans Facebook group, you can... You can use that to message me, which some of you have got to. I hope I've been responsive to those of you who have reached out and and taken care. of If not, I apologize, and I'll get back into that and making sure I haven't got any loose ends to tie up as far as people who've reached out. So thank you for joining me today, and until next time, madrasan leve and darasta.